Delighted students at Chippewa School have been climbing a new Vista Sky Rope Tower and rocking on a multi-person seesaw. That's because Palos Heights SD-128 recently unveiled a new inclusive playground to start the year. The impact, even in a few short weeks, has been palpable, school officials say. So how can something that seems so secondary make such a big impact on school climate and culture? We explore that question more on the ISA podcast. My name is Jason Neville, and I serve as Director of Communications. My guest this week is Dr. Meryl Brownlow. She is the superintendent of Palos Heights SD-128, where that new inclusive playground was recently unveiled. Dr. Brownlow, can you share a little bit about yourself and your school district? Sure. Um, First of all, thank you for this opportunity to share a little bit about what's happening here in Palos Heights School District. Um, I'm Meryl Brownlow, and this is the beginning of my fifth year as superintendent of Palos Heights School District 128 and my 32nd year in education. I've served in administrative roles in Illinois in five districts since 2005 and previously served as administrative and classroom roles in Philadelphia and New Jersey. Um, Palos Heights is a small pre-K through grade 8 elementary district in South Cook County, organized into four grade level centers with an enrollment of approximately 775 students. So your district uh, recently uh, unveiled a new playground. What makes this playground extra special to you and your district? So the playground was unveiled at Chippewa Elementary School, which is the building that serves first through third graders, and it underwent the renovation this past summer. The playground has been recognized as a national demonstration site for inclusivity, and it's one of only two school playgrounds in the state with this designation. There are park district playgrounds with it, but only two school districts with the designation. But what I think makes this playground incredibly special is the fact that students contributed extensively to the final design. Uh, You mentioned the designation. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that means? So as I mentioned, we're one of only two school districts with the designation. This designation meant that our playground was shown to be grounded in evidence-based practices that are surrounding seven principles of inclusive playground design. Um, the, the criteria came from a comprehensive design philosophy that is um, focused on innovative outdoor play environments where physical and social inclusion can occur to the greatest extent possible. And so this playground qualifies to meet those criteria as a high quality outdoor space where people of all ages and abilities can engage in physical activity, mental reprieve and connecting um, because it's accessible to all. When you unveiled the playground, what was one of the features that the students were most excited about? Students are most excited about the variety of elements and opportunities that came with this redesign. They particularly enjoy the elements that provide more collaboration and social opportunities. So one of those would be the rope tower where kids can gather and and sit out there to have conversations and the accessible multi-person seesaw, which even allows students who have mobility issues to access it in its center area. And then there's also a musical sensory garden um, that has many elements that allow kids to be creative and collaborate together while out on the playground. And they love those new features that weren't part of our previous playground. How big of an impact can a new playground have in an, an elementary school in terms of environment, perceptions, and I don't know, perhaps even culture? Yeah, so I believe that a new playground can have a profound impact on school culture and climate. And also 
it, it's also going to have a positive impact on the wider community um, and increase engagement between the community and the schools. In the case of this particular playground at Chippewa, the aesthetic vibrancy of the two-color accessible turf that we installed and the color scheme of the equipment just lifts the moods of staffs and students can, because of its bright, happy feeling. Um, and that contributes to the environment and translates into positive interactions among students in that space. And at the school level, the collective effort and engagement of the students and staff in the design process instilled a ton of pride, which has positively impacted the climate and culture. And then it's also increased the collaborative opportunities for students that facilitates the building of relationships and fosters that positive learning environment. And if you look at the wider community lens, um, this playground, PlayCore actually uses an algorithm when they evaluate whether you're Playground design is going to promote that inclusivity and connection for the greater community. And within that algorithm, um, this playground is definitely looking to um, increase annual physical and mental health opportunities for the community that will result in a savings of $185,369 in physical and mental health um, costs. So I think when you think about all of those benefits, this playground is gonna to touch not only our students and our staff, but also our greater community at large. Uh, you know, the new stories mentioned about the, the estimated cost of you know $450,000 to build it. Can you kind of just take me back to the planning stages? Were you always envision, envisioning a project that large a scale or was it initially smaller and evolved, and evolved over time? So that's a really great question. And just to be clear, that $450,000 encompasses the equipment, design, and installation of the playground. So it included all of the components of building a new playground. Um, the initial plan for the playground was actually slightly smaller in scope. Um, our footprint was initially planned to be designed with engineered wood fiber, which is considered an accessible surface. Um, however, the students and staff started to voice their desire to have a more fully inclusive opportunity for um, peers. We have students that are wheelchair bound here, and we know that the engineered wood fiber is not something that they're able to wheel through independently. Um, so we started evaluating the cost shifting to create a more accessible surface, um, and we landed on this artificial turf, which provides a much higher level of accessibility than the fiber, but it also and it also provided the option for that bright two-color um, experience for the kids. And we were able to shift funds from other allocations within the same grant budget. We used ESSER funds for this particular project, allowing us to upgrade sort of the initial plan. The other addition that increased the scope of the project was an artisanal fence that surrounds the playground. Um, and this feature was added because we do have a number of at-risk students who we're at risk for leaving school grounds and we're, we, our playground had a proximity to a rather busy um, road that's used as a cut through in our district. And so the desire of the community was to have this fence be um, included, but it needed to be aesthetically pleasing because neighbors without students in school were concerned about the look of a chain link fence. So we went forward with a more artisanal looking fence that actually is, it looks beautiful. It is more of a value add. Um, to the project. So the project did increase in scope for those reasons. And we're happy that we were able to shift some of our grant funding um, where we saved money on other projects that we had projected to be able to provide those upgrades. 
You mentioned student voice earlier. Why was it important to, to have that uh, be such a big part of the design process? So this is something as a superintendent that I talk about a lot um, with our staff and also uh, outside of our district. I think oftentimes we forget to ask our students <laughs> what they're thinking and they have pretty strong opinions and know what it is they need and want. And they are our primary users and stakeholders. Um, particularly in the context of this decision, right? They're the ones that were going to be using the equipment. So I don't believe that we would have had as many collaborative elements based on our initial feedback from staff and what they thought we should be putting on this playground. In fact, staff were pretty vehemently opposed to the rope tower that is now there because they got had worries about risk of injury, falling, those kinds of things. But the research would show that that's that risk is not as high as people believe it to be. And the students advocated hard for that element to be included. And it's probably our most used element on that playground. Um, so their strong opinions really led to what the ultimate design space looks like. And I don't think it would have necessarily become a demonstration site at a national level without that student voice. I uh, just want to talk a little bit more about funding and just can you talk can you uh, kind of share suggestions for peers about where to look for uh, extra dollars to accomplish a project uh, this size? Sure. Um, so while we were able to capitalize on our ESSER funds for this project, I know those dollars are sunsetting rather soon. Um, we did find some other opportunities to pursue funding. So one of the things that we did do was we partnered with kids around the world. Um, to donate our old equipment. Um, and by partnering with them, what their organization does is they come in and remove um, the existing playground equipment at no cost. And then they assess what elements might be viable to donate to um, an, an at-risk area to build the playground for children in need. And so through that organization, we were able to eliminate the cost of, of removing and um, demoing our old equipment. Um, and then Game Time, which is the vendor that we used for our equipment, currently has a grant matching opportunity. The application is due at the end of October, but people still have time to pursue that. And that, that one is a grant match. And then many districts also secure funding through an organization called Kaboom. And Kaboom is dedicated solely to partnering to create play spaces for not-for-profit organizations. And they are a 100% grant-funded opportunity. But because of that, it is a highly competitive process. So I suggest that people take a look at that sooner rather than later if they want to pursue opportunities like that. I'm just thinking about like when you unveil something, you guys really had that wow factor. I just wondered if you could share your thoughts about like how much does it make that extra cost that you spend? Is How much is it worth it to do that because you get that wow factor? So I think the wow factor is a really nice bonus, right? I think the beautiful nature of this playground with its incredible opportunity for inclusivity made the cost not even a thought in anyone's mind, besides the fact that it's the colors just make it pop right off the turf, right? Um, but I think the wow factor for us is that when you see our physically disabled and wheelchair-bound students independently accessing things other than just a swing, that that, that, that stirs the emotions and reinforces the importance of being inclusive. Um, and when you see our kids with autism or emotional disabilities having sensory opportunities where they can socially engage with peers, you can't put a price tag on that. And I think that's the wow factor even more so than the way this playground aesthetically looks. So I think those two things combined 
um, really make the extra cost worth what we did here at Chippewa. Yeah, I read that uh, you also decided to keep the playground open to the community during non-school hours. Um, I'm not sure every uh, school district does that. Can you talk a little bit about that decision? Sure. Um, So here's the thing. We're Payless Heights. We're a small community, and we have a very strong partnership with our Parks and Recreation Department. In fact, the playground at our intermediate building is owned by them and not us. And so we partner around playground and accessibility to community all the time. Um, And at the end of the day, while this was grant funded, we get very little funding from the state for our operations, our daily operations costs here in the district. So the community really funds 80% of our operating budget. And we would not be able to provide our high quality programming that we do without their support. So by providing access outside of school hours, it's a commitment from us to our community and to our partnerships. Um, to be able to provide them with this service. Um, And I think we really want that data on community usage. This national demonstration site designation has a QR code that's part of the sign that acknowledges its recognition. And the community is going to be able to give feedback around how they're utilizing the playground and the benefit that it's bringing to them as community members, which only strengthens our work as a focus and a hub of what happens here in Palos Heights. Any uh, final thoughts or advice uh, for your peers? Um, I think the thing I want to leave my colleagues with is the importance of involving students as stakeholders when making decisions that directly impact them. And by engaging the students, we supersede our expectations with respect to the outcomes that that we think we're going to get. And this playground is just another example of how that happens. (laughs) So I would just say, ask your kids. They know what they need and want. Thank you for coming on the ISA podcast.